I'm back and better than ever. I just want to feel like I'm enough and I want people listening to this to feel enough and so much more. Let's get a little bit more dangerous this season. Let's get dangerously dainty. I just want to reinvent myself this year. I'm just so over being cookie cutter and pleasing others. I want to please myself. Welcome to season two of Dangerously Dainty, the podcast, where we chat with underestimated people who make bold moves. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to the sixth episode of Dangerously Dainty Season 2. If you're new to the podcast, this show is all about proving others wrong despite being misjudged. Today, we're talking about student-athletes and the intense struggles that many face when being given a double-edged sword of an opportunity. For many to get to the collegiate level, it takes focus, commitment, and confidence in one's abilities in the midst of challenge and people being against them. And once they arrive to that level, a whole new set of realities and a system against them presents itself. Now let's hear the story of a student athlete who realized that their focus could go on and off the field. Today, we're talking with Hunter. Hunter was a wide receiver at Fordham University, where he graduated with a bachelor's degree in sociology. He's currently getting his MBA at the American International College while continuing to play as a wide receiver. I learned so much from this conversation about how to cope with outside pressures. Shout out to Hunter for coming onto the podcast to talk about the systemic issues in college sports. I learned so much about how this can impact an athlete's trajectory, including their mental, physical, and emotional health. I hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you for coming on the podcast and talking about your experience as a student athlete. And for some background, I know Hunter through Haley, who was a previous guest on like a random weekend, we started talking about his experience. And I really thought that it was a great opportunity to kind of have him on the podcast and talk about it. And yeah, and just share his experience and how it is related to the the heavy topic that we always talk about here on the podcast about being underestimated and proving people wrong and just finding your passions in the end. And thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk about this. Uh, you know, it's a subject that I've and within the last two years I've talked a lot. Like you know, I think the best teacher is experience and stuff and. With that being said, I've learned a lot about the whole student-athlete experience with my own experience and hearing other testimonies from student-athletes and stuff. 
I think it's important to get the point of view of the athlete that doesn't make the NFL, the one who actually has to go to back to being a regular person. You know, I, I think that story doesn't really get heard a lot. And that's where you get the true testimonies of what the experience is like. Because 1% of college players go to the NFL, nobody really cares about the 99% and what they have to say about their own experience. I have a question about, you know, what are the quote unquote benefits? And I put that in quotation marks because from an outsider's perspective, you think that student athletes will, they get a free education or, or free rooming and board. You think that you, you envy student athletes in that sense, but then you don't know all of the behind the scenes of why they should be getting so much more than that. And post their experience, like what do they do after and how that can have an impact on an athlete's mental and emotional health. So I'm excited to get into that. But before we do, can you, if you don't mind, share how you got into football? Did you always see yourself playing it on the collegiate level or the university level? Did you see it as an opportunity to go to college or did you like never even think about all of those aspects and just do it because it was fun for you? Yeah, so I've been playing football since I was five years old. I'm 23 now, so that's 18 years apart. I mean, a part of my life. So with that being, I think that I I got into football because I played, like, almost every sport as a kid. I played soccer, basketball, ran track, played football, played baseball. So I was uh, dabbling to every sport. My dad was a Division One baseball player and stuff. So oh, wow. I know he, he definitely wanted me to get into baseball, but – you know, I, I'm a firm believer that everybody has a calling in their life. So when I was like seven or eight, I felt like football is my thing. Like, you know, this is something that I'm very passionate about. I love watching. Mm-hmm. I live, eat, read football. At the, Since like the age of seven, when I really was like, this is what I really want to focus with. And so I kind of narrowed it down to like three sports. So I was, I played football, basketball, and ran track up to high school. And then I just ran football and track. And I think football was always a passion of mine. And so I didn't even think about just going to the collegiate level. I was thinking about going to the NFL. Wow. So to go to the NFL and stuff, you got to go through the collegiate level. You have to play three to four years before you draft eligible and stuff. So something that I guess my thought process in high school was I just knew I was going to go to college. So I could play football and stuff. Mm-hmm. Everything I wanted, I wanted to get a full, full ride scholarship to play football. But it was something that, you know, I didn't even, and something that I'm going to talk about a little later down the podcast and stuff is that learning how to give your, like, not to tie your athletic performance to your work. Mm-hmm. And something, it was an expectation, but I expected myself to go to college. You know, it wasn't like, something that it was an achievement to me you know it was Mm -hmm. something and it was not until like a couple like not until I really I got my bachelor's degree that I realized like wow like I graduated college and stuff you know yeah like so I think 
I didn't. I always knew that I was going to play at a collegiate level, and just no matter what level I played at, and I always wanted to play at the highest level. I my dream school was Ohio State, so that was my goal. I wanted to go to. I wanted to become a Buckeye and stuff. That part of like you, you were just kind of expected to go to college. I've been also thinking about that a lot recently, and I think when we all hung out together um, the other day, and I said like sometimes you're on a hamster wheel throughout like the last two years of high school. And Mm -hmm. it's crazy looking back now, putting the pressure on a 17 year old to make like the financial investment to go to college and make that decision that is actually a really heavy one because it can affect some of your trajectory. But yes, like it's crazy to think that a 17-year-old is making a choice that can really mold them and their experiences moving forward. When I was 17, yeah, I was thinking about what college I was going to go to to study what I wanted to be, but I was still looking like a step forward about Mm -hmm. what was I going to do with that degree. And I wasn't really... um, I think I don't think I was like open-minded to trying new things because I was so focused on wanting to be a fashion designer in high school that I wasn't mm-hmm. at first focused or open-minded enough. It's interesting to hear from your perspective of, of like you just wanted to go to the NFL and college was the way that you were going to get there. So can you explain how university sports work? Like once you're a student athlete, or maybe we can take a step back and like, you can explain how you were recruited or scouted by Fordham once you get into your program. And once you start basically working for the university and maybe you can get into what I mean by that. Definitely. I think, um, looking back at my recruiting experience, it was very hectic and very competitive and stuff. You know, I had Looking back at it, I had eight other receivers because I played wide receiver, by the way. Mm-hmm. So I had eight other receivers already having Division One scholarships. I was in a very competitive class for my position. So my recruiting process was very slow. I, I would go, I would gather a lot of interest and stuff. And um, I would say the sports world is very small. Like, if you're good, mm-hmm. you know, everybody knows who you are. And, like, you know, everybody talks. Everybody talks to each other and stuff. So with that being said, um, my recruiting experience, I didn't get a scholarship until my senior year, you know, but I was often known as one of the best 10 receivers in the state, you know. Wow. So it was like, it was very weird that I had all the tangibles. I was 6'2", I was 190, I was fast, I was, I was all state track runner. And it was just like, what am I doing wrong? You know, and that's something that kind of like, mess with my head it was like what more am I not doing mm. I was on the field I school so we went from we went to school from eight to four and from as soon as four o'clock hit I was working out whether it was on the field weight room from four to seven and sorry how old were you you were I was like that was like from 14 to 18 that's, so that's crazy that's- you know, I was always the last person to leave the field and stuff even after practice Stuff, getting extra work and you know be better and like you know as um 
kid, you know, because most like you know, as a teenager, you're still a kid. You're wondering yeah. like, why is your hard work not paying off? And stuff. Yes. And um, you know, and that's something that kind of carries like you know, kind of messed me up into college by getting to that a little later was that but yeah so at first my senior year like you know I got a scholarship from a division two school called Davenport you know uh, to play a wide receiver but I was arrogant you know I was arrogant in the sense of that I was like I'm a division one player Mm -hmm. um I'm playing division one football you know and I was like why do you think that was arrogant what if it was just like confident in your skills and wanting your hard work to pay off? I'd say it was arrogant, like reflecting back, it was arrogant because there's nothing wrong with Division Two football. You know, it was almost like, I almost felt like it was insult to me. Mm. You know, I almost felt like it was insult to me to think like, you know, to think I'm a Division Two player. You know, I was, I ended up committing to Division Two school at first to Wayne State University because I didn't have any other scholarships. Okay. But what a lot of people don't know is that I was in contact with the JUCO at the time. I was going to decommit from Wayne State and go to JUCO for one year because I had the grades to play one year at JUCO and then transfer out. Oh, wow. And, but a week before signing day and stuff, it was very hectic and stuff. So four of them had a receiver decommit from them. And I guess I was next on their board and they were blowing my phone up, you know, and at the time, I was like, oh, man, like, you know, I'm not trying to go because I hated the recruiting process at the end because it was just, I want to overwork. I'm tired of, like, talking to coaches. I'm tired of, mm-hmm. you know, because throughout my whole four years, it was always like, yeah, we're very interested in you. We're very, we like you a lot. But nobody pulled the trigger for the, I mean, for the offer and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know? So I kid you not, I went to, like, Central Michigan seven times. And I went to, like, for a visit. And, you know, I took it personally. Like, why are you not offering me? Like, you know, you got me here all the time. Yeah. Why are you not giving me a scholarship? It's a game. It's sometimes when you think about the admissions process and how these colleges work, it's why are you toying with the minds, very formative minds of teenagers, of kids, like you said, that plays a role in how you view your self-worth in that present moment and then moving on forward in your life right because then you feel unwanted and you're you become very self-critical of all you do imagine being an adult who doesn't work through those emotions and how that carries through everything that they do moving forward like in work what if they become a workaholic because they think that they're not good enough and they have to constantly prove themselves to their bosses or in relationships and in anything yeah and like you know I look at like the other kids in my class and stuff like in my like I said I was in a very competitive pool of receivers and and with that being said it was just I was like what am I doing wrong I know yeah I knew a few of them personally I knew I outworked them and stuff you know and the main thing you always hear like you got to work harder than everybody else and then you work harder than everybody else and you didn't get like you know you see it translates on the field because you're better than everybody on the field but the colleges are not like the scholarships are not whirling in and stuff and something that I've learned was that some kids got scholarships because of uh, word of mouth you know, let's say I went to a small high school, 
my high school didn't become prominent until probably my senior year where people like start knowing my high school is like legit at football. Mm-hmm. I went to Loyola High School and mind you, I'm saying this because I, I don't regret going there, but I went into a run heavy offense, which means they don't pass the ball a lot. I'm a receiver and I need the ball. Like, you know, th- and so with that being said, that was often used against me of of being a run heavy offense. But I'm like, I went to your camp and I went against your your commits and I outperformed them. You know, so uh-huh. what is not, you know, it was about a mental gymnastics and stuff. A lot of people don't know, like these college coaches lie to you and stuff. And that's something that they tell you what you want to hear. You know, they tell you anything to get you to go to their school. But in, in my instance and stuff, they would tell me like, yeah, we love you. We love your film. We love how you perform at this camp. There was only like a few schools that were honest with me saying like, yeah, like you're number four on our board. So if our top three guys don't commit, you're the next person up. And I was like, you know what? I respect that. But with yeah. Central Michigan and the reason why I brought them up is because they didn't, is because they didn't, <clears throat> they were never honest with me and stuff. And they mm-hmm. never told me like, yeah, man, we got our, we got our two receivers that we wanted and stuff. So, you know. And it was just like, and honestly, I asked them after uh, I was already committed to for them and stuff, was that, why didn't you guys end up offering me? And they were saying, like, um, from what I remember, they were saying that, yeah, man, like, you know, we really wanted to and stuff. It was just like, there was just something holding us back. And we really knew that we we're going to get the other kids. And I was like, bro, you could have told me, you know, yeah. like, you could have told me that you guys had like, you got eyes on somebody else and waiting for them to commit to before you offer me so making me feel like yeah man you're next up so back to I guess the original question is how I ended up at Fordham so Fordham had a receiver who decommitted and they came to my high school three months prior but they weren't interested in me they were just coming because one of the coaches had a friend at the school so they were just coming to like say what up and see like the two kids who could potentially play there okay so they weren't really interested because they were already like everybody was committed. A week before signing day, uh, they offered me a full ride scholarship. Wow. And um, a week before. Yeah, a week before I was supposed to sign to uh, a week before I it was even about to make my decision to go JUCO and stuff. They offered me a full ride scholarship. And, you know, it dawned on me. It was like, it's not fair. My parents already sacrificed enough mm. to make my dreams happen and stuff. So I can reward them to never have to worry about helping me pay for college and stuff. And, you know, yeah. I eventually committed to Fordham and, you know, I was a true freshman. I started my freshman year, started my sophomore year, got hurt my junior year with a torn labrum and senior mm-hmm. year with COVID and stuff. A lot of um, unfortunate events happened. And then I transferred out to uh, wow. my new school, American International College. When we talked about this off the podcast, you talked about how, how can I say this, how you focus so much on your work as an athlete and you're told that you have to focus solely on this, that it kind of impacts your decision on what you can study. So even though it's a full ride, it sounded like they kind of had a little bit of a a say or control over what you ultimately wanted to do with your studies and could affect your, your future, your future job or whatever you were going to decide to do after college. 
Yeah, definitely. And, you know, um, so a lot of people don't understand. So as soon as you hear a student athlete, you think about, oh, four-ride scholarship. You think about, you don't have to worry about debt, you know, which is, it's a benefit, you know, it's um blessing and stuff. But I heard some horror stories about, like, debt. And, um, yeah. yeah, it's definitely an advantage and stuff. But I don't think a lot of people understand, like, after you're done being a student athlete, you have no skills to transfer, like, to go into a job and, you know, study and start your career. And with what we talk about off the podcast and stuff, football is your number one job. You know, they said student athlete, but you're really athlete student once you get to the collegiate mm. level and stuff. You work 40-hour weeks once the season starts. And because um, here's the thing, you practice, you weight lift, you have meetings on top of meetings and stuff. And then think about the stuff that you have, you have to do on your own to prepare for the game and stuff. It That's a nine-to-five job. Yeah, for sure. Like I'm thinking about my football schedule. So we got a so we got a class. We had a block from eight thirty to twelve forty five for classes, and then at, we couldn't take classes from one to basically yeah one to six. So you had to either you could only take classes from eight thirty to twelve forty five or night classes. But with that being said, though, there's a big chunk of time where you can't take classes. So you the courses that you might want to take or the professors you want to take. Like I said, first thing first is football. Football comes first, and I heard a horror stories. So I'm quoting somebody from Ohio State who said the same thing. He was saying that Ohio State football is your job. You know, you're not you're a student, but you know you came here to play football. So they would like discourage kids to like not do like let's say I want to be on the pre health track. You know how discouraged, uh, you know, like people like advisors would discourage you saying like, yeah, it will be really hard with football. Like they don't necessarily tell you no, but like, you know, you know how easily you're influenced at 18, 19. Yeah. You know, they would say, they would tell you like, yeah, I don't think you should do it. Like, you know, it's going to be very conflicting with your schedules. It's also, you but know. it's kind of like diminishing like your intelligence and your capabilities and it's, it's pigeonholing you into yeah. that one thing. It's, it, yeah, and to your point, it is like, you know, insulting your intelligence, saying that, you know, you can't play football and do this major. And here's the thing is that no matter, like, to them, the biggest thing is, can you practice, can you lift, and are you going to play? If you do that major, you're going to be distracted from what you ultimately came here to do. And that's kind of the thought process. And when they kind of discourage you into, like, what majors you should pick, you know, what what should you do and what class, like, you know, like I said, if you have a class between one, if you want a class between one to five, like you can never get it, at least at four of them as well, because it wow. interferes with football. Let's talk a little bit about how, yes, they pay, they might pay f- or provide you with like a, a, a full ride, but how much money are these colleges, especially large D1 schools making off of the athletes and is it true that they're really not losing any money by giving you a full ride yeah for sure so I'm gonna so I'm gonna take away from my own experience because I didn't go to like a huge college I didn't go to like Ohio State Texas Alabama so don't I know so I'm gonna use this for example and stuff so when you get to the big, like, you know, the big, the big programs, the blue bloods and stuff, like 
you know, I'm gonna look at, I'm gonna use Zion Williamson, for example. Zion Williams on his own generated at least $1 million for Duke University. He didn't get to see none of that money. And his one year of playing, and he only played what, like 20 games or something? So in 20 games, you're bringing $1 million for your university and you don't ever get to see that money, you know? And I don't think people understand, like Ohio State, Alabama, Texas football is worth a billion dollars. It is like a large wow. sum of money. And, and the fact that like, you know, here's the thing. And also another thing is that too, is that let's say I got like injured mm-hmm. in college. They don't help me like with like rehab or insurance and stuff. Your medical bills, nothing. Yeah, as soon as you graduate and stuff, like, you know, your rehab medical bills, like, you're on your own. So let's say something, I had, like, a lingering injury, like, concussion, like, concussions affect me later down in life. You're on your own with that. They don't help you and stuff. And I think the NFL is similar to that. I think you get, like, three years of, like, medical insurance, and that's it. And then you're on wow. your own. Football and basketball are the biggest money uh, generators for college and stuff. Okay. Without And that, and so... Let me put this in perspective. During the COVID year and stuff, during 2020, there's a reason why them colleges were fighting so hard for their football and basketball programs to play. Absolutely. Was because was because how much money they generated. And some schools will go bankrupt if they, if their football team doesn't play. They were putting the health of their students on the back burner of the larger student population just to get back just, the season on track. The reason, and the reason why I say it's so exploited, especially for black athletes, is that because mm-hmm. when you, those big bloods are PWIs, mm-hmm. and so it's for uh, a lot of people compare it like now there's some rule changes and stuff that I'm gonna get into, but a lot of people compare the NCAA to like modern day slavery and stuff in the instance of like you're profiting off of free labor, yeah, off these black athletes that basically provide for the buildings, you know, like the institution buildings and stuff, as in like, you know, I'm just thinking about like campus centers and stuff. Football pays for that. Other sports that white athletes dominate, football and basketball pays for that. You know, they're generally, they generate so much money that it takes care of the rest of the school and the rest of the school is white people and stuff. That's why you get that analogy of comparing it to modern day slavery and stuff. And like I said, before Zion Williamson brought in a million dollars to Duke University and didn't get to see none of that. And think about that. Think about being an 18 year old and you can't see none of that money that you brought into the brought like, into the university. Not even a percentage. Do you know what an, a young person could do with that money? Like, and right. and not even in, for anyone who's thinking like I'm not even talking about in a frivolous way. I'm talking about paying any debt that young people have. Maybe they could go to grad school with that money. Rent, rent for an apartment, food, like right. basic necessities that a percentage of that money could have changed that athlete's life. Do they even care about the athletes after gradu- graduating once they're alum? Like no. there's no support programs or anything like that. I think, I think, like, you know, you got your, it's a brotherhood and stuff. Like, you know, like the way people look at it. So the football players are going to take care of each other. But like, if you're talking about like coaches or like, you know, so something that I know at Fordham and stuff that I was often told is that Fordham Connects is going to get you like a job opportunity, internship opportunities. I just applied to 50 internship opportunities. I didn't see not one Fordham alum. 
work at any of those companies and stuff in New York. So I'm wondering where is this foreign connection going to come from? And job fairs and stuff for athletes and stuff. But honestly, majority it was towards to the business school. It wasn't mm-hmm. towards, and that's only a small population of the team. It's a double-edged sword in the sense of like, yeah. should I have prepared for that on my own? You know, I, but like as an 18, 19 year old, and I think a lot of people don't give 18, 19, like a lot of people look at 18, 19 year olds as adults for some reason. Like, you know, you don't have no guidance on like getting internships, job opportunities wow. and stuff, you know, you like, here's the thing, you get like these occasional, like, oh, here's an internship opportunity and stuff. But for the most part, it's just more about like, people talk a lot, but like, honestly, in my own experience, and someone probably could like disagree with me, my own experience, I haven't seen the for them benefit of being uh, a student athlete where people would give me like connections and stuff or like, you know, because, you know, that's a big part of the job. I mean, getting a job is like who you know rather than what you know. As much as the advantage of having no loans and no debt is, like I said, if I have no skills or like I can't, I'm not even, I don't know how to use my degree to get a job and stuff. It's almost in a way not worth it. To be a student athlete, like to be a student athlete, just to, I guess, go through college and stuff. And I often tell people, like, college football is a job, you know, yeah. like, them six, like, you know, them 6 a.m. workouts not fun, you know, <laughs> like yeah. waking up at like 5 15 and stuff and having to. I don't think a lot of people give athletes grace because of like how much, I guess, to the common person, how much they receive. Mm. But it's a lot, you know, and a lot of people don't understand burnout, like, you know, and here's the thing, you can't, you can't, like, so in a regular person and stuff, like, you get burned out at a school or, like, at a job, you can't leave. Mm-hmm. You can't leave a team if you want your scholarship still. Right. You can't take a break, you know, so that's, that's pretty much what I have to say about the whole, like, bachelors, like, you know, like, the advantages, are there really advantages anymore in this day and age? But that's really what I have to say about that question. Yeah, it's really hard to adapt post that life mm. because it's it's so heavily integrated into who you are. And it kind of sounds like leadership might not even see you as a dynamic person with different intersections Uh, like you know you're not just an object that is going to play this game and make them more money you're 20 years old and you're trying to figure out what you want to do in this life and there's just so many questions that come up when you're that age like you don't have the answers and um it seems like a lot of people don't recognize that. And, and with that said, um, we talked about how there seems to be a lack of empathy with fanatic, supposedly supporters. And I didn't, I never thought of this from someone who didn't hear the stories of student athletes, how people can get really aggressive if you don't win a game and they're not like I like we were just talking about, they're not seeing who you are as a full person, just as someone who's doing a job. Honestly, you know, I kind of make the analogies. Like I'm a modern-day gladiator and stuff. You know, people don't look at me as human. When I, when I put my helmet on, my shoulder pads on, I have that jersey. I'm not a human anymore. I'm entertainment. You know, mm. 
it's crazy. So like, here's the thing. So like, I'm gonna use college athletes because now like now we're talking about kids still, you know. Yeah. So imagine like, and the analogy I give people is like, you. So imagine you had a bad day at your job and everybody at your work let you know about it, know about it, and then you go on social media and stuff, and everybody lets you know about your bad day at work. You know, you know how mentally like debilitating that is. You know, and like. Yeah. hearing that and stuff and like and we're talking about 18 19 year old 20 year old kids and like I said it's like you kind of get dehumanized in the aspect of like they don't view me as a human and stuff I look at like something that I kind of look at is like um who's that reporter I know she was from Fox News who told LeBron to shut up and dribble you I know I didn't know about that yeah, it was a really big thing because wow. LeBron was like speaking up about like politics and stuff, not to get too deep into it, but he was speaking about politics and she was like, LeBron, shut up and dribble. Like, you know, and I was like, but it shows like that's how a lot of people view athletes. Like they don't view you as a person, they view you as an object, as in something that, you know, entertainment and like something that here's the thing, I'm like livestock to these people in the sense of like, you could put bets on athletes. Now it's like also like, people are also relying on you to make them money now mm. outside of the franchise because people are putting bets on you. And in a way, if you don't hit, like, if you don't meet their requirement and stuff, they get mad at you and stuff. Like they say like, you suck, like, you know, all these bad things. And like I said, it's dehumanizing. Another thing that a lot of people don't talk about is how video games also dehumanize athletes. I was going to you know? ask about that. Yeah. Video go, go games on. play a, play a big part. I can't even use my own example. Cause, but you know, you don't you don't think of them as a human anymore. Like, like I said, you view them as entertainment, you know. Mm. And I remember, like, let's say I'm playing 2K and I'm, you know, make a shot with LeBron, but LeBron in real life misses that same exact shot. I'm like, bro, why are you missing that shot? You're LeBron, mm. and it makes you forget, like, he's human. You know? <laughs> yeah, like he could fail and that's not even a failure right you know and it's, it's crazy how deep you can really go into this like once you really take a step back and think about all the things think about all the things that like gambling you know video games you know being spectators in the stadium and stuff you know and makes you realize like wow like we, a lot of people don't realize athletes are humans as well and stuff especially in the NBA and stuff, I know this is that a lot of athletes feel like they have the right to like talk to players any way they want. Like, for example, there was a Portland Trailblazers uh, center and stuff. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize, a lot of people uh, don't realize. So what they saw was like him take the, his, the fan's phone and throw it. But people didn't know that the fan told, told the player that like, uh, your mom's a bitch and, like, fuck your grandmother. And his grandmother passed away because of COVID and stuff. Oh, like, you know, my gosh. And so that's, like, that happens a lot. You know, I never remember when I was, like, we played UNC Charlotte and stuff. And, like, you know, we get a lot of hecklers. And uh, I remember some of the things that I was told. <laughs> I'm on the sideline waiting to, like, to play. And by people in the stands? By people's in the stands. And here's the thing, though, is that, it's crazy. I'm 6'2", 210 pounds. They would never say that to my face. Oh, no. <laughs> like, you know, but they get protected. And I'm not saying, like, violence is the answer. But, like, you know, they kind of get protected in the sense of, like, they know they can get away with it. Yeah. And, so, and like I said, I think I don't know what to do to change that. Maybe people 
need to. I think honestly, once people play sports, you kind of realize, you know, you kind of get empathy for that person. You know, you kind of. Everything that you've described already sounds like a business transaction with the school. And then now on top of it, they're treating you like objects and dehumanizing athletes. And do they offer any kind of therapy, any kind of counseling for athletes? Oh, so I didn't, you know, that's a good question. So let me tell you the truth about that. So I remember, so I'm going to use my own experience. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I went through a lot of personal things my freshman year during camp my first few months there and uh I remember saying like yeah man I'm, I'm really going through a lot and you know these guys they they don't offer me actual therapy they offer me a sports therapist in the sense of like so sports therapist basically is therapy but for your sports so like let's say like you're having like a for I'm gonna use a basketball example let's say you're in a shooting slump you know you're not hitting your shots and stuff. they will basically get like you a therapist to like improve your skill and just get over the funk like they offered me a sports therapist and stuff. they were like yeah we didn't get you like sports therapist and stuff because you know i was struggling with practice and that's what they offered me and that's what they offered me they didn't offer me actual like, therapy to talk about my problems they offered me to get get me out of my slump you know wow. and granted though most schools do offer counseling and- mm-hmm. your experience is probably ex- the experience of so many other people and they just don't talk about it, even if there are a few schools that might offer counseling. Like if it's not even promoted among the athletes and they're not going to know about it. And if you're so mentally exhausted, it's it shouldn't be up to you to like have to put that extra energy into finding something. It should already be in embedded in the structure. Jorge was telling me a, a while ago a, a situation with Antonio Brown. And how he walked off the field at a Buccaneers game. And people mm-hmm. were saying that he was going crazy, that he lost his shit because he was taking his shirt off, whatever. People were instantly criticizing him. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me of what you're talking about. Like, there's no empathy among the fans. And it seems like people jump to conclusions without recognizing that maybe he was going through something and maybe his wasn't supporting him. And why are we assuming and drawing conclusions when we don't, we, we don't know this is didn't, it didn't truly click for me until having this conversation that we really do view sports as an entertainment. It's almost like getting concert tickets when you get tickets for a game Mm. without realizing that these are people like doing their job and there's a lot of stress involved in that yeah it it makes me want to like learn more about the history of sports and like fanatic culture was it always like this that people were just what surrounding in a circle and watching people go at it at one another and Mm. like why and the fact that we monetize all of this and in in an insane way there's fantasy leagues like that's a good point I, I forgot to even bring up fantasy football and stuff you know like there's so much stuff that you can make revenue off these athletes and stuff to the point where you're like you know like I said I'm a part of a machine like I said I'm entertainment I'm I'm not I'm everything but a human I could be That's a part of a machine viewed by like, a lot know. of white people you know it's in good this country that, mm-hmm, there's a great thing that you brought that up because I was going to say like something that kind of like 
so football players, for example, don't get paid as much as they were majority of the time. But, you know, you often hear, and, and the main people that who say this are white people. It's like, you know, people respect Tom, like, you know, people like want athletes to take pay cuts so they could like help make the team better. And like, it's very interesting because there's a certain demographic that always talks about this. And it's always like, and it so it shows such ignorance to what's really going on and stuff. Like, here's the thing: so somebody I remember seeing a tweet, and the person who wrote the tweet was white. I mean, white. And so he was saying, like, yeah, Tom Brady uh, took a pay cut. He was never the highest paid quarterback and stuff because he cared about winning and stuff. But but Patrick Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes took a five hundred million dollar contract and stuff. He doesn't care about winning. He cares about money. And I'm like, one. Tom Brady's wife makes more than him. Mm. You know, Patrick Mahomes' wife doesn't, like, you know, so you can't afford, like, if, yeah. if your wife's making eight, nine figures and stuff, you can afford the pay cut. Absolutely. They're in a different, like, financial bracket because of that. Right. And you can't compare. Thing, right. You know, and here's the thing. I'm like, a lot of athletes come from inner city homes where they didn't have money. And so they want to create generational wealth. Absolutely. Always, and they are in, they should be entitled to it because they've worked yeah. so hard for that. And the main thing I tell people and the phrase I always use, I respond to everybody who says, like, people care more about money than the sport. I was like, legacy don't pay bills. You know, mm. like, what's it called? You need to get that money. You need to get paid what you're worth. I would never get mad at athletes for demanding their worth. But I wonder it, if those people saying that actually practice that in their personal lives. Like, are they taking a pay cut for their team so that their associates can get paid more there can be more success for the company i bet not no great that you brought that up because that's also something i brought up to them too it was that are you taking a pay cut for your company so they can get the best production they uh they can get nobody's nobody i guess nobody with the same mind would do that you know it's something that's like very interesting too though like since we're on this topic is that i've seen people like people get mad at athletes for like, let's say you like you lost the game and stuff, and like it kind of goes back to like the bad day analogy that I made mm-hmm. was that like let's say like you lose a game and they expect athletes to be like oh like I'm not about to go out or like, I'm not about to do anything fun like you know like they get mad at athletes for going to the club after you know like so like I said imagine you had a bad day and then your boss got mad at you because you went to happy hour be like oh why are you going to happy hour instead of improving your skills and stuff you know like yeah that's so true damn. I feel bad if I've ever made a comment like that because athletes are under a microscope by the rest of the world. And yeah, they should be able to celebrate or like, yeah, they should be able to go to therapy. No one should make fun or criticize or have cast judgment upon those choices. I wish that we could program ourselves to start affirming people in a positive way instead of kind of instantly deferring to the negative Mm -hmm. when something doesn't go our way it's not even our way like that's out of our control it's I wish there was a shift in language and the way that we affirm people who are really going through stuff and criticize for every move they make and 
you you talked about how you're viewed as entertainment and then that's why when athletes have stances on really important topics like Kaepernick people criticize them because they feel like they shouldn't have opinions or a voice even though what if an athlete has always desired to have that platform to talk more about these subjects and educate people because they have good intentions and people are taking that away from them. Uh, Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, it's interesting though, because like, you know, so I guess I have a interesting stance on that. I feel like, you know, everybody, like especially like Kaepernick had a platform to make social change and stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's very interesting. Like, it's crazy to see how, I guess, how much, black, how blackballed he was after that, you know, and mm-hmm. basically kind of, it deterred any, even looking past Kaepernick, it was in a way showing like, the NFL basically showed that if you're going to take a stance, like, you know, we're not afraid to get rid of you. Right. You know, and like, I think, in, in the sense of like, the NFL will always protect that shield, you know. Mm. Yeah, but nobody's bigger than the shield. I think that's the thing. So like, compared to the NBA though, the NBA talks a lot about social change and stuff they like do. that. But I'm going to tell you why. And interesting, being in marketing, you kind of look at the demographics you are into football. And, like you know, you kind of – I would say as a product, the NFL is a really good product Mm -hmm. in the sense because they know how to market to each each demographic itself. Yeah. But with that being said, right now, back when Kaepernick did what he did, the biggest demographic was Gen X you know, baby mm-hmm. boomers, Gen X and stuff, you know, now it's shifting to millennials as millennials become the biggest population age. Consumers. Yeah, age yeah. But NBA, it's, it's hard to replace LeBron James. It's hard to replace mm-hmm. Steph Curry and stuff. It's hard to replace Giannis. But in the NFL though, it's not that hard to replace. You know, yeah. the skill gap is, the skill gap between college basketball and NBA is huge. Mm-hmm. But the skill gap between college football and NFL football isn't that big to the point where you could plug in a player off the street. You know, you could plug in a college athlete into NFL and like, yeah, like, will there be a lower skill and stuff? But it also helps the brand and protect the shield and stuff. So back to yeah. like the Kaepernick's, yeah, like it, the NFL was making a big statement into saying that this, you guys are here to play the sport. You guys are not here to make any you know any uh, waves you know, mm. yeah waves or social change or any of that you guys are not using our platform to do that so you can do that on your own time but when it comes when it comes to our stadium and stuff and when it comes to our games you're not doing that you know? and even on their own time yep. they're still gonna get backlash and i'm sure their accounts are monitored by the nfl and of censored course. and people think athletes are stupid and i don't think people realize that it takes you have to be intelligent to how did you know to jump like to make that move and stuff how do you know to like have the body control and to make that catch and stuff people don't look at that as a genius they look at it as like oh like he's doing what he was like you know like i think einstein einstein said a quote saying like if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree you will always think it's stupid um they would you wouldn't think the fish is not intelligent but a lot of athletes are smart, but like, you know, you don't give them the time of the day to think about that because of this silly stereotype. I feel like we haven't 
talked about like the experiences of female athletes and that's a whole other conversation as well. You know, you mentioned at the top of, of the podcast, how a lot of the funding goes to like white sports and I'm sure a lot of funding doesn't go to women's sports. There's a lot of criticism towards transgender people and it's very very uh important to talk about because like let's use the you know the women's NCAA tournament and stuff so mm-hmm. uh college basketball has March Madness and stuff but so does women but women's doesn't get nearly the advertisement as uh men's sports do and yeah. you know and it's, it's a lot of misogyny that goes into it. like for example like the gear that the men's get is so much more than what the women's get you know they like it's crazy and I'm going to do more research on it because I would love to do a part two because there's a lot yeah. to talk about. And, you know, I think a part two episode would be really good for like uh, talking about women's sports and how trans women are um, getting integrated into sports as well. There's so many connections between like the fight be- between like bodily autonomy and sports because it sounds like there isn't a lot of autonomy to be your own person mm. as an athlete. And women, like women athletes then have to face it twice because there's a society that's trying to control their bodily autonomy in the Supreme Court and then on the field too. That's yeah. so incredibly stressful. Something that I kind of want to touch on about the women's sports again, too, is like, I don't know if you know about the Brittany Griner situation, um, where she's, um, so she plays in the WNBA, but like, they don't, they're so underpaid that she has to go to Russia during the offseason and play, play for their team. And so she is like detained in Russia. Yes, 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 yes. And it's crazy because I'm thinking like, like, you know, it just goes back into the misogynistic world that we live in and stuff because imagine that was a male nba player how much more coverage mm-hmm. that we're getting and stuff you know to see that it's very like disappointing to see that a woman's like you know a professional basketball player is, is getting underpaid to the point where she has to leave the country and play overseas during her off season she's to, like it's like she has a part-time job right Tying it back into what we talk about on the podcast of feeling underestimated or highlighting like underdog stories and the way people Mm. view themselves and kind of being able to rewrite their narrative um, and how you kind of have to take a chance on yourself in that process. How do you feel that your experience with football changed or maybe not I don't know the depiction that you have of yourself of your how you know talking about the whole underdog story I've been doubting my whole life my track coach I even put a lot of trust in and stuff thought I should stick to track instead of football but I was like you know I always bet on myself and stuff it was just always like it was a lot of confidence maybe even to a certain degree arrogance I mean a little bit sometimes in this day and age you need a little arrogance and stuff so you don't get you don't set yourself short yeah and um my like my underdog story which is proving everybody wrong but 
something that I'm starting to implement in my life is to, instead of worrying about proving everybody wrong, prove everybody who believed in you right, you know? Mm-hmm. And that kind of like shifted gears into like, where I'm not exhausting myself to make these people regret what they said and stuff. Because there's always going to be somebody to doubt you. Yeah. But, you know, the people who believe in you, the people who put faith in you, that's the people you should be worried about instead of the people who doubt you. Because that takes up so much, it takes up so much energy in your mind. And it takes so much energy and it's exhausting and stuff. Now, when you prove that people right, you know, who believe, you know, you prove the people who believe in you right. Now you're like better at peace with yourself and stuff. You know, you're not yeah. worrying about what more could I have done. You know, you're not worrying about always, always trying to take that extra measure and stuff. Yeah. You go over, overworking yourself, becoming a workaholic. Damn. I'm getting, honestly, like I was getting emotional, like listening to you say that because I really find myself in a low point of confidence right now. And I think it's because I'm trying to run a race and I'm focusing too much on what other people are doing or how other people Mm -hmm. are seeing me in that race. Mm -hmm. And that's why I really try to promote this podcast to young people because hearing it from other young people And the things that we've learned thus far, I hope that my friends who are in a similar, just kind of funk like me, hear that and take that to move forward. You know, I I think that people always say that when you're in your 40s, you stop caring about what other people say or think about you. And it it kind of pisses me off because I'm like, well that doesn't mean we can't disclose the wisdom that you learn at 40 to 20 year olds so that they can start working on themselves. So I appreciate you being open and honest. And I really like that. Something that I'm struggling with right now is just time I work to my athletic performance and stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. and I've always tied my worth to my athletic performance where I was like, I'm expected to go to college. I'm expecting to graduate. You know, I, like, you know, I expected to get my bachelor's because I was going to go to college because I was going to go to the league, you know. You know, just time, it, it's so debilitating just time out. I, I wasn't proud of myself when I graduated my bachelor's and stuff, you know. It was just like, but the only time I've, I've noticed in my life that I was proud of myself was, was when I scored a touchdown and stuff or when I, like, you know, mm-hmm. you know, when I went to All-American and stuff in track, that was, like, one of the few times I've been proud of myself, and. You know, it's something that I'm still struggling with and trying to, like, learn is that I'm more than an athlete. Or anyone who, like, invests so much time into your craft, you do face that identity crisis. I, I think I focus so much of my energy and time to having a certain academic, meeting a certain academic standard because I wanted to prove others wrong that was that was like all of me that was all of me trying to be a 4.0 student and towards the end of my undergrad I I there were certain experiences that I went through that started making me ask and question like who like who am I aside from that like right. that means that meant to some something to me then 
but what do my achievements and who I am as a person now mean to me? Because right. it's a different person. I remember having that thought as soon as I touched my bachelor's. I was like, all right, I got this. Now it's time for my thousand yard yeah. season. And I was like, huh, let me take a step back and like right. realize like, because I'm one of the like, few family members who graduated from college and stuff. My dad was the first one. I'm the second one now in yeah. the family. You got to relish you know, in that happiness. We're always so right. quick to think about like, okay, like what's the next thing instead of saying, right. oh, what I did is more than enough and I am mm. enough. And what I do next, that's great. I'm, I'm still whole. I'm right. still whole in the current moment. I, I have to ask, because before I forget, what has been your rose and thorn? No, just being extremely doubted and stuff, you know, and like the low and like you said, the low plays into the high and stuff. It's just like, just I was proud, like looking back and I'm proud of myself how I didn't let anything that they said deter me from my ultimate goal and stuff and achieving it and like, you know, like making them believers, you know, mm-hmm. and like, like I said, even though I have a different mentality now, I think. The thing I'm proud of is that I at, at when I was like 14 through 18, hearing all that noise and stuff, and just to be able to put my head down and keep working, just showing like just for me to be able to be that young and like not let them influence me, you know, I think that was my rose and thorn moment of just embellishing being the underdog and stuff, always being the one that was doubted, the one always overachieved how much I took that into my adult life and just like, you know, just being able to hear that and just like, you know, let it go through one ear after the other and stuff and not take it personally anymore and to be able to continue proving the people who believed in me right, the few people yeah. who believed in me right and stuff. To me, I find it helpful to look back on the roses and the thorns or like the the highs and lows because all of those little and big experiences kind of inform and and take part in the puzzle that is life Mm, you know right so thank you thank you for sharing thank you for everything that you just talked about it was I always say this like oh my god this is the best episode but like honestly you you made me really think about some things um and i can only say thank you and that's why i love doing this podcast thanks for listening to another episode of dangerously dainty the podcast don't miss out on new episodes by turning on notifications for any new releases and while you're at it i would love to see you supporting the show by leaving a rating and review on apple Podcasts. Last but not least, you can also follow the Dangerously Dainty Instagram at dangerously.dainty. Thanks for listening and keeping unexpectedly bold.